One of my favorite stories, I don't know how much of it's true and how much of it's urban legend, I know some of it's true, is the story of Larry Walters flying. Larry always wanted to fly when he was young, but unfortunately his eyesight didn't allow him to get a pilot's license, so he just thought maybe he was not gonna be able to fly. But one day, Larry had a bright idea. He decided to fly anyway. He went to his local Army-Navy surplus store and purchased 45 weather balloons and several tanks of helium. The weather balloons, when fully inflated, would measure more than four feet across, so this is pretty big. Back home, Larry securely strapped the balloons to his sturdy lawn chair, and he anchored the chair to the bumper of his Jeep and inflated the balloons with the helium. He climbed on for a test while it was still only a few feet above the ground. Satisfied it would work, Larry packed several sandwiches and a six-pack of Miller Lite, which might explain some other things, Loaded his pellet gun, figuring he could pop a few balloons when it was time to descend and float back down to the ground. He tied himself in along with his pellet gun and his provisions. His plan was to lazily float up to a height of about 30 feet above his backyard after severing the anchor, and in a few hours, he'd just float back down. Things didn't quite work out that way. When he cut the cord anchoring the lawn chair to his Jeep, he didn't float lazily 30 feet up into the air. Instead, he shot into the LA skies if he was shot out of a cannon. He didn't level off at 30 feet, didn't level off at 100 feet. He finally leveled off at 11,000 feet. At that height, he couldn't risk shooting any of the balloons lest he unbalance the load and find himself in real trouble. So he stayed there drifting, cold, and frightened for 14 hours, and then he really got into trouble. He found himself drifting into the primary approach corridor of LAX. A United pilot was the first to spot Larry. <laughs> He radioed the tower and described passing a guy in a lawn chair <laughs> with a gun. <laughs> Radar confirmed the existence of an object floating 11,000 feet above the airport. So that's when LAX emergency procedure swung into full alert and a helicopter was dispatched to the scene to investigate. Several miles out, excuse me, the helicopter caught up with Larry. Once the crew determined that Larry was not dangerous, they attempted to close in for a rescue, but the draft from the blades would push Larry away whenever they neared. Finally, the helicopter ascended to a position several hundred feet above Larry and lowered a rescue line. Larry snagged the line and was hauled back to shore. The difficult maneuver was flawlessly executed by the helicopter crew. As soon as Larry was hauled to earth, he was immediately arrested by waiting members of the LAPD for violating LAX airspace. As he was led away in handcuffs, a reporter dispatched to cover the daring rescue asked him why he, did it, why he did it. Larry stopped, turned around, and replied nonchalantly, well, a man just can't sit around, can he? <laughs> you know what the problem with Larry was? He made it up himself. Oh, there's a way to fly. I mean, there, there, there are protocols, and there are tra there's training, and there, there are credential, there's credentialing that you go through to fly, but Larry decided to bypass all that and make it up for himself. We're going to talk about that today. Our series is called Illusions. And the idea of it is something kind of like a magic show. You know, when you go to a magic show, someone is going to perform magic tricks or illusions. There is the attempt to get you to believe something that isn't true, to fool your senses so that you actually begin to ask yourself, is it magic? As Jonathan explained last week, most of us know what we're getting into when we watch an illusionist or a magician. We know that it's entertainment, and it's fine. It's fun as long as that's the basis. But on the other hand, when you and I are being challenged to believe something that isn't true, when something's at stake, that's when it gets dangerous. For instance, when you're lied to about a product 
and you determine that the product won't live up to expectations. Or even more dangerous is when someone in your life pulls a trick on you and you believe that this person is something he's not and you wind up married to him. Well, we decided in this series, by the grace of God and with the help of the scriptures, to unpack the illusions that Satan most often pulls on people. And so today, we're going to look at one of those illusions. You know, there is an idea today that is just pretty well pandemic in our culture, that when it comes to spiritual thought or spiritual truth, that it's possible to make it up as you go. You sort of like scrounge through the junkyard of human thought and you decide, well, I like this and I like that. I, I've got friends who tell me, well, I'll just look at all the world's religions and I take the best part out of each one. I want to make one thing really clear. I'm, I'm not talking about seeking for truth. I have friends who are non-theists and agnostics and, and they just are on a quest for truth, and they tell me that that's what they're on, and as long as there's academic integrity in that, that's a good thing. It's a good thing to pursue truth to know what it is, but what I'm talking about is something completely different. It is the idea that I can make it up. It's not that I'm trying to discover what is true, it's I'm trying to decide what is true. I'm going to take a little bit from this way of thinking, a little bit of that from that way of thinking, and then ultimately that's going to be what I believe, and then whatever that is, that becomes truth for me. If it feels right to me, then it is truth. A few years ago, I think I told you this story. I was getting close to 60, and, and I work all the time. And, and so my wife was always worried about that. And so Mary Alice came to me and said, Mark, you have to, you have to have a habit, or a, a, a hobby. She said, you've got to come up with a hobby. And she said, I'll just help you, whatever, whatever it takes, I'll, I'll help you with it. She said, I'll, I'll pay for it. You know? She said, if you want to go hunting, I'll buy guns. If you want to play golf, I'll... I'll guys, wouldn't you like for your wife to say this? She said, if you want to play golf, I'll buy you a golf club. She said, if you want to do photography, I'll buy you a camera. Listen, when you have ADD, photography is like sending somebody to purgatory. I mean, I wasn't even going to respond to what she had to say until she threatened to buy a camera for me. And so I said, well, I don't, want to, I don't want to do photography. I said, you know, I've played around in a little bit of golf through the years, and I actually have a club here that's given me a membership, and I only you know, play once or twice a year. But I said, if I'm going to play golf, I want to take lessons. I want to learn what I'm doing wrong. So Mary Ellen secured lessons for me with the head pro, and, and it didn't take very long before I realized I didn't know anything about golf and especially about a golf swing. And this guy was great. He was just a great teacher. And, and so every time I would go, sure, I would pick up stuff from him, but I would realize just how bad I was. And so if I, after about six weeks of lessons, I said to him, you're going to fire me because I'm no good. And he said, no, no, no. He said, really, you show potential. That's what teachers do, you know, make you feel good. He said, no, you really have some potential. He said, I did fire a guy one time. Well, now I'm interested. So I said, well, well who did you fire? Oh, he said he was a wealthy guy and he bought lessons from me. And he said, I taught, tried to teach him. I told, told him over and over what he needed to do in the mechanics of the swing. And he said he just wouldn't do anything I taught him to do. So finally one day I said to him, this is not working. We have to talk about how you want to go forward here and if you want to go forward. And this client said to him, well, the problem is the way you teach me doesn't feel right. And so my teacher said, well, what do you want me to do? He said, I want you to teach me a way that feels right. And that's when this extraordinary golf pro, my teacher said, I can't do that. I only know one, play, one way to play golf, and that's the right way. 
only know one way to teach a golf swing, and that's the right way. If you want somebody to teach you in a way that feels right to you, you're going to have to find another teacher. Well, that's golf. In the final analysis, what you do in your golf swing if you play golf, that's totally your business. But when it comes to life, you know, truth just doesn't work that way. There is a verse in the book of Proverbs that says it this way. It says, there is a pathway that seems right to a person, but the end are the ways of destruction. Well, that's pretty serious. It doesn't just say it doesn't end well. It says the end is the way of destruction. So what I draw from that is if I decide to go on a quest to determine what is truth on my own terms, and I allow into that bottom line the things that feel right, very probably I'm going to wind up in a way of destruction. Now here's what I want to get to today. The master illusionist Satan, who Jesus said comes to kill, steal, and destroy. The master illusionist is perfectly fine with you being a Christian as long as you make it up for yourself. In other words, as long as you decide, I am going to be a Christian on my own terms and believe what feels right to me, Satan is completely cool with that. He has no problem. He will get you to wind up exactly where he wants you to wind up. This week in China, if you've been keeping up with China and their crackdown on Christianity, you may have read an article in which China has, um, uh, they've, stop the online sale of Bibles in China. So if you got on any of the internet platforms, for instance, if you got onto Amazon and you entered Bible in the search, it would say no results found. So why did China do this? Well, a couple of days before the Chinese, the atheist Chinese government had released a statement that said the following. It said they wanted to reinterpret and retranslate the Bible to promote a Chinese style theology and a Chinese style Christianity. In other words, the atheist government that cracks down on Christianity said, we're going to stop Bibles because we want to translate the Bible in a way that promotes what our government teaches. Well, that's not happening by force in the United States, at least not yet, but it's certainly happening voluntarily because throughout America, our churches are filled with people who claim to follow Christ, but they don't really follow God's word. It is a sort of, well, it's a Larry Walter school of theology. It's, I can make it up for myself. Well, the question is, does that work? You know, when I talk to friends from this postmodern way of thinking, a lot of times my friends will say, well, Mark, you have your truth and it works for you, and I have my truth and it works for me, which, by the way, that's silly, isn't it? I don't have my mathematics and you have your mathematics. Math is what it is. It's, a, it's an objective. It's not subjective. It's truth. I don't say, well, I've got my idea of gravity and you have your idea of gravity. It's just not how truth works. But there is this idea that, well, this, this, this is your truth and this is my truth. And so consequently, you determine your own truth and I'll determine my own truth and we'll go our own way. And God is the benevolent Pillsbury Doughboy in the sky. And he's going to be fine with anything that we do. And we'll ultimately all get to heaven and high five each other and say, wasn't it cool? You did it your way. I did it my way. Well, does it work? Well, today I'm going to take you back to one of the oldest stories in the Bible. Jonathan talked about Adam and Eve last week. We're just going to sail right on into chapter 4, and we're going to talk about Cain and Abel. But most of us, when we think about Cain and Abel, what we primarily focus on is that Cain killed Abel. Today, I don't want us to focus so much on the idea that Cain killed his brother, except I want you to see how it falls in the sequence of his, of his religion. 
I want you to see how Cain determined his own religion. So if you have your Bible, if you have an electronic device, look in Genesis chapter four in the second verse, okay? Here we go. When they grew up, so we're not talking about kids running around at home anymore. This Cain and Abel are, are adults now. Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground as a farmer. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, look at this, the best of his firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made, this made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected, okay? Here's the first thought I want to lay before you today. Cain decided to invent his own belief system. I mean, after all, his mom and dad, they were God followers. They were always talking about sin and how they got kicked out of the garden and how that was a bad idea and boys hope you don't do what we did. And Cain got tired of hearing that and his brother Abel's a Jesus freak and he's always like going to worship and Bible studies and he's like, you know, just always careful in his life to make sure. And Cain is like, I don't want to be a heathen, but man, I don't want to talk about this sin junk like my mom and dad do and I don't want to be a Jesus freak like my brother Abel. So guess what? I'm going to make it up myself. I'm going to, I'm going to worship God, but I'm going to like worship him the way I want to worship him. Well, what was that religion like? Well, well, I'll tell you what it was like. It was like a lot of what I see today, not at New Spring necessarily. But the first thing I noticed was it was a religion that didn't cost him anything. You know, the Bible says that Abel brought the best, but Cain had just said he brought some. Cain is like, okay, it's time to worship God. I got some carrots over here and got some turnips over here, Brussels sprouts. I hate them anyway, so let's just take it and give it to God. It's not going to cost him anything. There are people today that claim to worship God, but it never cost them anything. They will, worship, they will, they will be at church as long as it's not a basketball game they want to see or something that they want to do. They will they read their Bible if the television is broken. You know, they can't find something they want to look at on the internet. It, it is worshiping God as long as it doesn't cost anything. He just brought some of his crops. Second thing I noticed about his religion, it was a convenient religion. He, he didn't bring God what God asked for. He didn't bring God anything meaningful. I mean, think about this for a moment. Consider the two sacrifices. Abel brought a lamb, sacrificed the lamb. Cain just brought some vegetables. Now, what did Abel's sacrifice mean? We'll see in just a moment. Abel's sacrifice meant there's something wrong inside of Abel that can't be fixed. And so I'm going to have to come before God and say, God, I'm a sinner and it's very serious and I'm going to do what you asked me to do, which is to show the importance of redemption. Cain, on the other hand, said, I'm not so bad. I, don't, I just don't think I'm bad enough to require a sacrifice. So consequently, I'm just going to bring some vegetables Maybe this is the best way I can describe convenient religion. In fact, it may be the one, at least one of the two most important things I'm going to say today. In Cain's mind, anything was good enough for God. And God was duty-bound to accept it. God is a God of love. Anything I want to give God is good enough for God. God has to accept it. Third thing I noticed about his religion was it was a rebellious religion. When when Cain brought his sacrifice, he was flipping God off with both hands because God had not asked them to bring vegetables. 
I mean, in the book of Hebrews 9, verse 22, the Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Leviticus 17 gives us the mechanics behind that. The life of the flesh is in its blood, and I've given it to you on the altar to take away your sin, for it is the blood which makes free from sin because the life is in it. And someone will say, well, I don't, man, I don't get into that sacrifice stuff back in the Bible. It just seems kind of gory to me. Yeah, it is gory. The problem that we have with that is we don't understand how serious our sin is. When we balance out that sacrifice of the Old Testament and we look at our sin, we say, well, that sacrifice is, gosh, that's a lot worse than my sin is. But that's not how God sees it. In fact, do you know what the Bible teaches us? Our sin was so bad that ultimately it cost the sacrifice that made the difference, which was the blood of Jesus Christ. If you and I want to know how bad our sin is, all we have to do is look at the Son of God who was nailed to a cross after having thorns beat into his head and he hung suspended between heaven and earth for six hours. And the way God looked at it, the blood that came out of his body was a currency that washed away our sin. Somebody could say, I don't like that very much. Neither did Cain. He wasn't into that. We're not into all that serious approach to God's stuff. It's okay for my mom and dad. It's okay for my Jesus freak brother Abel, but wow, that's too heavy for me. I've talked to, you know, my 33 years of pastoring here, I've met guys, I don't meet them very often anymore, but I would meet guys who would say, well, I just come because I want to bring my kids. I just come for my kids. It's all right for my wife and my kids, but hey, I don't really get into all that stuff. Well, you know, you might want to take something into account. If I'm talking to anybody like that today in South or North or watching online or on television, you might want to take something into account because Jesus was the one who said, unless you become like a little child, you can't get into heaven. So for anybody who might be out here and you say, well, I just, I don't get into that. That's, that's for my wife and my kids. I'm just a big guy and I don't need that. Where do you want to be three seconds after you die? Cain was like, it's, it's, I've got a religion. It's not going to cost me anything. It's convenient. It's what I want to do. And oh, by the way, I'm flipping God off with both hands because I am doing it my way. But it didn't work, did it? I mean, all the stuff that he went through, all this self-made religion, it didn't work because the Bible says God rejected Cain's offering. Now, I'll tell you, the second thing that I find interesting about this story is that when it didn't work for Cain, Cain got mad and he doubled down. Well, that's crazy to me. Because if I'm like there with Cain and I'm thinking, okay, I brought something and God said he didn't like it and my bud Abraham, uh, Abel over here, he brought something, God was cool with that. I'm like, okay, I know what to do now. And if he had done that, it would have been a great story and that would have been the end of it. But he didn't, did he? The Bible said he got mad at God because God would not accept the religion that Cain made up on his own. I mean, Cain went to the Larry Walter School of Theology and God said, sorry, no degree. How, and Cain was like, how dare God not validate what I think? This is the most important thing I'll say today, especially for the world that you and I live in in 2018. You ready? Cain married acceptance of himself personally to acceptance of his choices. 
God didn't want that. I mean, look at this later on in Genesis chapter 4, verse 6. God said, why are you angry, the Lord asked Cain. Why do you look dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door like a wild animal. See, Cain was like, God, this is the way I'm going to live my life. If you reject my choices, then you're rejecting me. And God's like, no, you don't understand. I don't want to reject you. I love you. I want to accept you. Here's what you need to do, and everything is going to be fine. But Cain doubled down at that point and said, no, this is what I am. If you don't like who I am, then you don't like me. And I'll tell you, I hear that today, and it is, ter- it is cosmically, fatally terrifying. This idea that this is who I am, this is what I do, this is how I am, and God, if you don't like that, then you don't like me. Well, God was very gentle with Cain. He asked him questions. He said, Cain, why are you angry? You know, questions give people space. And so God, instead of nuking Cain, God said, Cain, why why are you angry? And why are you so dejected? It's still on the table. It's right there for you. All you have to do is do the right thing. And God is saying, I'm going to accept, accept you. But God said, but be careful, Cain, because he said, sin is like a wild animal outside your door. Wow, this, this takes me to the third thing that I want to share with you quickly today. When we refuse God's way, we have no idea of the darkness inside of us. You know, I was reading a story about a guy named Joe Taft. He, uh, he raises exotic cats that people you know, have to let go of because they can't be managed anymore. You know, when these little tigers are cute and cuddly little kittens and they're fun, but then they grow a little bit and people are not able to take care of them. So Joe actually started a place called Exotic Feline Rescue Center where he manages these wild cats. And he wound up with one of these small tiger cubs, but this cub started growing. And unfortunately for Joe, he wound up having a heart attack at the same time. He had to have a quintuple bypass And because of his health, he really could not manage the cat. And it got to the place where Joe had to have a cage built around a sofa in his living room. And he wound up living almost completely in that cage while the tiger had the free roam of the house. And God was saying to Cain, that's what's going to happen to you. If you let sin into your life, then it's going to take control of you. But instead of Cain responding to God... Cain got mad at God. This is weird, isn't it? Cain got mad at God because of Cain's choices. But the Bible says in Proverbs 19.3, people ruin their lives by their own foolishness, and then they're angry at the Lord. It was true then. It's still true today, isn't it? You know what was peculiar about Cain? Cain saw his choices as fixed and God's response as elective. Cain was like, this is my choice. God, it's up to you to respond to me. God was like, I'm not changing. Cain was like, I'm not changing. God, you have to change. Does that make sense? Listen, guys, God doesn't change. He can't change. He won't change. And we don't need him to change. Listen to what scripture says in the book of Malachi 3.6. God says, I am the Lord. I do not change. That is why you're not destroyed. I mean, God is like, this is my character. This is who I am. And I'm not changing. And you don't want me to change. I mean, think about the prodigal son for a moment. What if the father says, while the kid's down in the hog pen, what if the father says, hey, you know what? Maybe I've been too uptight. Maybe I'm just going to like get away from the straight life and go live, you know, live crazy myself. If he had, the prodigal wouldn't have had anybody to come home to. 
You don't want God to change. And yet Cain now is doubling down and he's saying, God, you have to change for me. And Cain now has no idea of the darkness that he's unleashed. You know the story. I won't take too long reading it. Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, where's your brother? Cain, hey, am I my brother's keeper? And then the Lord said, well, what have you done? His bro your brother's blood cries up from the ground to me. By the way, if I'm talking to anybody here who acts with injustice, if you're a racist, if you abuse someone, I want you to know that even though you may think your victim's voice isn't heard, God hears the voice of your victim. And God said to Cain, your brother's blood is crying up from the ground to me. Now here's what I want to tell you. And this is, this is just me talking. If we get to heaven and I'm wrong, I'll come and I'll hunt you up and I'll apologize if we still care about it. <laughs> I don't think Cain ever thought he could murder someone. I mean, first of all, that's the first murder, so I don't know that he had to think about it. I don't think Cain, I don't think he ever intended to kill his brother Abel. See, that's the problem with sin in our lives. When we let it in, we just don't know how dark the dark side is. Do you ever know anybody who's a decent person, and yet they start making some bad choices, and one day you hear that they, do some, they did something that just seems impossible? It could happen to any of us. It could happen to me. All it takes to be lost is take one wrong turn. All it takes to re be really lost is take several wrong turns. And so Cain now is in a dark place. And I'll tell you what, I honestly believe that he did to Abel what he would have liked to have done to God if he could have gotten his hands on him. Fourth thing, and there's no sense in taking a lot of time here, but I think it's of note that Cain lived the rest of his life in perpetual victim. Have you ever known anybody who could cause all kinds of havoc in other people's lives, and yet somehow when they're called to account, they can always be the victim? I mean, this, you're talking about somebody who is a continual perpetrator, and yet when they're called to account, it's like, oh, every, it's, you know, everybody's got it in for me, and you're like, are, are you not tethered to planet Earth? When God said to him, and I, you know, forgive me for breaking his sentence, but I mean, I would think that God had every reason to kill him because he killed his brother. I think God, frankly, between you and me, I think God let him off fairly easy. God said to Cain, okay, you're going to wander and the ground's not going to produce for you the way it used to produce for you, but I'm not going to kill you. If I'm Cain, I'm thinking, wow, I thought I was going to get nuked. But look at how Cain responds to God. This is in Genesis 4.13. Cain said, my punishment is too great for me to bear. Nothing here about, wow, I just whacked my brother and ruined my mom and dad's life. It's my punishment is too great for me to bear. You have banished me from the land and from your presence. You have made me a homeless wanderer. There's something to this. Do you know why people become perpetual victims? Because A, we want to be God and we're weak and we make lousy gods and when things go wrong, it's got to be somebody else's fault. Well, what happened? The end of this is in Genesis 4, 16. Then Cain left the Lord's presence and lived in Nod. Now, that doesn't mean a whole lot to us in the United States and Kansas, who speak, those of us who speak English, but the word Nod there is interesting. It means literally the land of wandering or 
this is what one translation is, the place where people can't settle down. Now, we started out today to say that one of Satan's great illusions is to make us think that we can make it up on our own. But for anyone who decides to make up life on his own, the high price of making up your own religion is you have to live in a place where nothing is settled. It sounds fun to decide what is true. And it sounds reasonable to say, I'm doing this my way. The only problem is, is that when you get tested, you'll have to come face to face with the idea that your religion is something you made up. The worship of your religion is just pretending. And the outcome of it is just make-believe. And every one of us is going to be tested many times in our lives, and ultimately we're going to be tested at the end when it comes time to leave. Let's say I make up my own religion. I'm not a young man anymore. Death could come for me at any time. I'm not trying to be morbid, but it just could. So let's say, hopefully it won't happen. Let's say this afternoon I have a heart attack, and I'm waiting on the paramedics to come, and I'm having a hard time catching my breath, and I'm thinking, okay, I might be crossing over. Do I want a religion I've made up at that moment? Because my eternal destiny is not going to be in my hands. I'm going to be in the hands of truth. Well, I'm thankful that when I was eight years old, I invited Jesus Christ into my life and I took him up on my offer. And I know I'm going to heaven, not because I'm a good person. I'm a complete screw up. I know I'm going to heaven because Jesus died for my sins. And there was a moment and a day when I invited Christ into my life. And so if that moment's coming for me and I'm having a hard time catching my breath and I'm starting to feel myself slip out, I'm going to say, you know what? I'm safe in the arms of Jesus. I didn't make up my own religion. Jesus gave me a plan and he gave me a way. And consequently, I'm I'm fine. But if I made it up, I might be perfectly cool in 2018 postmodern America, but it's all going to be a load of you know what when it's tested. In Isaiah 53, in the sixth verse, we have a description of Jesus dying on the cross. And in Isaiah 53, 6, we get a real definition of sin. Here's what it says. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have left God's paths to follow our own. That is what sin is. We have left, that's what Cain did. We have left God's paths to follow our own. And God has laid on Jesus the sins of us all. Now, why did, look at that verse. Why did Jesus have to die? He had to die because we did things our way. Wouldn't it be total insanity for me to assume that the thing God says would send me to hell would take me to heaven? If making up my own way and figuring it out on my own will take me to heaven, how am I going to come to grips with the fact that God said that's the thing that sends me to hell? Let me read it one more time. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's past to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid the sins of us all on him. Can I plead with you today? Release yourself from the pressure to make it up as you go.
Believe God's word. Believe on Jesus. God hasn't asked you to be perfect. He hasn't asked you to do community service. He hasn't asked you to join a church. He hasn't asked you to perform rituals. He's asked you to put confidence in Jesus that he did for you what you can't do for yourself. You know, if you were to back me into a corner and say, Mark, what is it that surprises you the most about Cain? Well, believe it or not, it wouldn't be that he started his own religion. And as amazing as it sounds, it wouldn't be that he killed his brother, although that was a horrible thing. Do you know what surprises me most about Cain? Is that he spent the rest of his life wandering. The Bible says he went out from the presence of God and he lived in a place where no one can settle down. Why didn't he come back? Why didn't he get, why didn't, why didn't he figure it out? Why didn't he say, you know, I've just blown up my life. I killed my brother. I hurt my mom and dad. I'd sinned against God and wrecked my life. But you know what? I know God, I know where God's presence is. I'm going to go back to God's presence and say, God, I had it all wrong. I'm sorry. Because all the time he could have done that. Do you know, we know Cain is in hell because the New Testament tells us he never changed. I guess he was the first person in hell. Even there he was lonely. Why didn't he come back? I've thought about this story many times through the years. At the end of World War II, there was a Japanese warrior. His name was, uh, it was Lieutenant Hiro Onoda. He had been dropped off on Christmas Day 1944 on Philippine Island. And his commander said, we're, you know, fight it out. So that was Christmas Day, 1944. Um, on August 14th, 1945, Japan surrendered and actually became an ally. But for the next 29 years, Lieutenant Onoda carried out the war. I mean, it was amazing. They spent over a half million dollars to get the word to him. He killed, I think it was... 30 people over the next 29 years. Leaflets were dropped. Loudspeakers sent messages to him. But for 29 years, he carried on a war for Japan. And all that time, Japan was an ally of the United States. I'm talking to somebody, and you're in a war with God. You don't need to be in a war with God. Peace has been declared. Peace was declared 2,000 years ago when a man died on a cross for you. And you don't need to have a war with God. Don't, don't be like Cain. Don't carry it on. Come to Jesus. Give him your life. Don't be like Cain. Don't wander in the land where nothing is settled. Hey, if you're here today and you're making it up for yourself, the one thing I know about you is you're in a place where nothing is settled. You don't know anything for sure. It doesn't have to be that way. If you're here today and you say, Mark, I want to I I have peace with God. Well, the great news about that is, like I said, it's not in what you do. It's, it's in just coming to God and believing him, trusting him. The fact, Scripture says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So I want to close this service with a prayer, and I'm going to say the lines independently, slowly, so that you can decide if you want to pray this to God. You can decide if you want to own it personally. You ready? Pray with me. Dear God, I'm a sinner. Can't fix myself. But I believe you love me anyway. I believe Jesus died for my sins.
I believe he arose from the grave. I want Jesus to be my savior and I want him to be my king. Please do for me what I can't do for myself. Thank you for hearing my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you just pray with me, I have a gift I want to give you. You can go to any info center. There's a gift bag. In the bag is a Bible, a New Spring Bible, just like I preach from, a book that answers a lot of questions that I wrote, and a DVD. It's free. It won't cost you anything. Just say, I pray with Mark. Thank you for being here. We'll see you next weekend. <laughs>